0: Namaste and welcome to everyone and uh, today we are going to have some very important guests and a very important topic and uh, that topic actually is uh, reverberating all over the I should say the western hemisphere and by western hemisphere I mean the western developed countries and i have with me professor salvatore babanese from sydney and vibhuti jhaji from long island new york and the topic today is a paper which has been written by professor uh, salvatore babanese and you know professor salvatore babanese very well Uh, he is uh, 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 an associate professor in the University of Sydney specialization in political science political theories and associated topics and of course I don't need to introduce to Shrivi Jha to you and Professor Babineese has written a very important paper it's called the weaponization of caste in America and all those who have been watching the Jaipur dialogues they know that this is a topic that we have been covering quite extensively As also on JD USA so Professor Babries is going to publish this paper maybe this night or a- any time after this show is broadcast or maybe even before that in the Indian Century Round Table that's a think tank that is in Australia and it is curated by Professor Babries. so why is it called the Indian Century Think Tank or the Indian Century Roundtable, Professor Babanis? It's the Indian Century Roundtable because our prime
1: mover, uh, former Prime Minister Tony Abbott, uh, felt that the 21st century is going to be India's century. And he's, he's repeatedly said, uh, including at the Raisina Dialogues, that if we are to have a free world in the 21st century, India must be at the center of it. Uh, And So the vision for the roundtable is to see the importance of India for the future of the free world and to ensure that we in the West have accurate, unbiased information about India and its democratic institutions in order to inform our own debates about India and our own relationship with India.
0: Right. So this topic is is the weaponization of caste in America is, uh, uh, I think, highly talked about, especially in the United States of America not so much in uh, other places, but I'm quite sure that this is going to go around. So uh, what is it that uh, you have talked about in this paper? This paper is about a
1: culture war that is bubbling below the surface of the uh, American consciousness, and it's a culture war that's occurring within the diaspora community, the Indian diaspora community in the United States. Uh, Essentially, a group of... uh, Islamists, Sikh, and Dalit organizations have sought to vilify Hindus and the Hindu faith by associating the Hindu faith with caste-based discrimination. They've done that through a series of efforts, including you know, some people will be familiar with the California SB 403, which was an effort in California to ban discrimination based on caste, through a Seattle ordinance that banned discrimination based on caste, through resolutions at the California State University system and at top universities like Harvard and Brown University and Columbia University in the United States to ban caste based discrimination. Now, the amazing thing about all of this, well, there are two amazing things. First, everybody disagrees with caste-based discrimination. So it's pushing on an open door. Nobody is nobody is opposed to banning caste-based discrimination. And second, caste-based discrimination is already illegal under U.S. civil rights law. So there's no need for these policies or these laws because the form of discrimination they want to outlaw is already illegal. And that reveals the true purpose of this culture war. The the, the true purpose of this is to attack American Hindus and by extension the Hindu faith globally and even by further extension the country of India to attack American Hindus by attempting to associate the Hindu faith with caste-based discrimination.
0: All right, Babaji Ji?
2: Oh yes thank you professor glad to be having you after after a while and i had the pleasure of meeting you in person in new york a few months ago and but that that conversation is for another day but very delighted to meet you today and the cast thing as you know and you have pointed out is that sb 403 is rejected by the governor of california right. which is where which is where it was being played upon We have talked about this at length in our shows time and again, and what is bothersome, and you are talking about the culture wars, you very rightly said it is a culture war. It seems that the Sikhs, Muslims, and Dalits are hell-bent on destroying Hindus for whatever they are. So you had alluded to a very nice phrase that the unholy alliance of three groups of people. what is the reason for this hatred against Hindus? Could you tell us, share your thoughts on that? Where does this come from, particularly from a group of people like yeah. me and Sandeji who are not first, interfering but, anybody's life?
1: First, let's be clear. We're not talking about ordinary Muslims, Ordinary Sikhs or ordinary Dalits. Yeah. We're talking about a group of civil society organizations that purport to represent American Muslims, Sikhs, and Dalits. My instinct is that they don't genuinely represent any of these groups. However, a coalition of organizations centered on the uh, Indian American uh, the Indian American Muslim Council uh, have organized these efforts to associate caste with the Hindu faith, in the American mind. Now, I say that's their primary purpose because if you look at SB 403, it was vetoed by California Governor Gavin Newsom for the simple reason that caste caste discrimination is already illegal under California law. Not only that, the bill itself, in its original version as proposed, was proposed to be, quote-unquote, declaratory, meaning that the bill itself said caste-based discrimination is already illegal, but we want to declare a whole series of items about it and put those items into law. And those items associated caste-based discrimination with India and with the Hindu faith. In other words, their purpose was not to actually prevent any existing caste-based discrimination. There's virtually no evidence of caste-based discrimination in the United States. Their purpose was not to actually prohibit caste-based discrimination. Their purpose was to create an impression that Hindus were engaging in caste-based discrimination. And in that purpose, this alliance, this Muslim Sikh Dalit coalition succeeded. They succeeded because virtually all of the mainstream American press coverage of SB 403 cast it as a legitimate civil rights movement which was stymied inexplicably by California's liberal Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom. And there's a lot of, you know, a lot of angst in the American press. Why would such a liberal as Gavin Newsom um, veto a piece of civil rights legislation? Now, th- the reason is that Gavin Newsom and his advisors knew what most Americans did not, which was that this was not actually a piece of civil rights legislation. This was a piece of legislation sponsored by, well, it's an odd story. America's, I'm sorry, California's very first Muslim elected to the state Senate in California and California's very first Sikh elected to the state assembly in California. And these two women, their top legislative priority, it's almost like a joke, a Muslim and a Sikh walk into the legislature. (laughs) And what was their top legislative priority? Their top legislative priority was to ban caste-based discrimination in what they claimed was the Hindu community. Um, Now, it's noteworthy that not a single other California legislator signed on to the legislation. Ordinarily, civil rights legislation would get 10 or 20 or 30 co-sponsors because everybody wants to be associated with a civil rights bill. This bill received no other co-sponsorships. Other people voted for it, and I suspect they voted for it because they didn't want to go on record as voting against a civil rights legislation. So they just held their noses and voted for it, hoping that Governor Newsom would ultimately veto it. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, But the coalition around this bill, I mean, if you look at the the actual websites for those organizations, the, the Coalition to Support SB 403... It is a list of activist organizations without any mainstream Hindu organizations. And I must say, without any mainstream Muslim or Sikh organizations endorsing it, but only these activist organizations that are actively seeking to vilify American Hindus.
2: If I may follow up on this one, This entire thing was very facetious, the entire, as you very rightly pointed out, that these are the fringe elements of the communities that were doing it. However, it gathered significant momentum in the legislative process that legislature and the California Senate passed it virtually unanimously, Uh, you know, passed the bill. It was going to be the law if Newsom had not vetoed it. But what was curious to find out was in terms of significant proportion of people, we are talking about Dalits who are just about 20 or 25,000 people who are actually doing very well. Cisco case was one such example <laughs> that the person who was claiming victimization or discrimination was himself a millionaire in his own way. Right. <laughs> highly educated. So where was this temptation to vilify Hindus coming from? What is the root of it? Because I believe that unless we address the root, we can't solve the problem. So where did this root come from? For,
1: first, let, there are two separate questions there. First, let's let let's talk about the Cisco case and Dalits in the United States. Right. Uh, the California Civil Rights Action against Cisco and two executives, now the two executives have now been dropped from the case Correct. and it's remaining ag- pending against Cisco, was taken out on behalf of a single self-professed Dalit by the California uh, Civil Rights Authority. Now, the California Civil Rights Authority generally would undertake cases for marginalized groups for you know, groups of people who need government help to protect their own rights against some other overbearing group in society that is discriminating against them. Now, they only had one Dalit complainant on this case. Not a single other Dalit joined This case, the one complainant, as you mentioned, is a millionaire, a millionaire senior engineer from Cisco Systems. His case is all based on him not gaining an additional promotion beyond the promotion he already received at Cisco. So this is a very odd case for California to take up. Now, when you look more broadly at American Dalits, it's a very small group of people and a very elite group of people. And here's where we have to realize that American Dalits are not Indian Dalits. Of course, they themselves may come from India, but it's a wildly different population. The American Dalit population, as far as I can tell, based on publicly available data and the best survey data um, from the uh, uh, Carnegie Institute, the best available data suggests that they're probably about 20 to 25,000 Dalits in the United States. The overwhelming majority of them seem to be people with postgraduate qualifications. And I think we can safely have our our imagination of doctors and Silicon Valley engineers being the primary population of American Dalits. And that's because it's very difficult for an Indian Dalit who faces severe uh, disadvantage in India. You know, somebody, you know, we we can have our imagination of a disadvantaged Dalit in India who is driving a uh, tuk-tuk, or cleaning a toilet, or digging a ditch, that person would never get a visa to go to the United States. So the people we're talking about who are in the United States are a tiny, highly privileged minority. Now compare that with other minorities in California for whom the Civil Rights Division is not taking up cases. Uh, And I use in the paper, the example of Aztec and Mayan Americans. Now, those are people who you know, face the intersectional discrimination of being both Latin American but not Spanish speaking, actually being indigenous peoples from Mexico and Central America. So they face discrimination even within the group of Mexican American immigrants in California. No civil rights case on their behalf. And they're an extremely poor, disadvantaged minority that right. appears to be about 10 to 20 times the size of the Dalit minority. <clears throat> so this is a highly political case taking on the challenge of representing a highly privileged group. Now, why this war? Uh, to me, it seems almost, almost certain that this has to do with international politics. And this is why I get, I've become involved with this, because I don't really study the Hindu faith or American Hindus. I, I study India. Yet, India is the ultimate target. Of this war. And I say that because the groups that are organizing in support of Dalit rights in America are the same groups that are organizing in support of Kashmiri separatism. They're the same groups that are organizing in support of Khalistani separatism. And so it's not a broad based Muslim and Sikh effort. It is those American Muslim groups who are supporting uh, a separatist, and in many cases, a terrorist, uh, Kashmir, are also supporting Dalit rights. And those few Sikh groups that are supporting independent Khalistan are also going out in support of Dalit rights. Um, Now, that's why I say there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that this isn't ultimately about American Hindus. This is ultimately about creating the association in the American mind that Hindus are bad in some way, And India is a Hindu country. Now, all of us know that India is a secular country. India has a secular constitution. There's no special privilege. If anything, there tend to be special, uh, uh, special burdens placed upon Hindus in India. It's not a Hindu country, but in the American mind, it's a Hindu country. And by vilifying American Hindus, these groups seem to be seeking to at the same time vilify India in the eyes of ordinary Americans.
0: All right, so uh, as you mentioned, this is uh, based on the Equality Labs uh, research. This particular case also is almost entirely based on the Equality Mm -hmm. Labs research. And the antecedents of the Equality Labs itself are suspect. And moreover, the definition of caste that the Equality Labs gave, in fact, you have yourself noted that there is no one definition of caste because uh, the term caste is untranslatable in Indian languages, all Indian languages. The term that we have is either jati or varna, and you've noted this in your paper. And uh, one important thing that you mentioned, and uh, I think uh, that needs to be addressed, is that uh, according to us, all Shastras, what we call Dharam Shastras in, in India, all of them are descriptive and never prescriptive. Almost never. Even the Bhagavad Gita, which is supposed to be the mm-hmm. one of the foundational texts, even there in the end, after all that has been said by Lord Krishna, in the end, he tells Arjuna, now I've told you everything. Now it's your choice. You choose whatever you want. So I think this is a very important distinction that I find most Westerners are not able to make, but very good that you made that observation.
1: Well, this distinction you're making is really crucial for the effort to stigmatize American Hindus, because what the activists are using is what we call a bait and switch. Right, so the actual proposals, the laws and the policies at universities all say we're going to ban discrimination based on caste that's fine. Caste is maybe not an indigenous Indian term, it's a European term, but the Indian government has adopted it. Indian government has a list of scheduled castes. We, people know what the word means, and people can tell you what caste they belong to, and over 95% of Indians of all religions, Hindu, Muslim, Sikh, can identify their caste background. So everyone knows what the word and if means. I, and if I might add,
0: there, yes. there, there is in the indian supreme court there is an action there's a risk petition which is filed by the christians and uh, the yes. muslim <laughs> demanding yes, that their... uh, yes. they also have caste and at the same time they continue to vilify hindus for caste.
1: right so uh, caste is a well-known well-defined civil Concept and I stress that it's a civil concept by which I mean it's defined in the Indian constitution and Indian law. But there's no such caste as Dalit. Now, Dalit is a political religious term, it's a term that has historically been used in opposition to the Hindu faith. Most famously, B.R. Ambedkar, the Dalit, you know, the, the famous Dalit right activist and father of the Indian constitution. Uh, Ambedkar, of course, said he was born a Hindu but would not die a Hindu. He led a mass conversion of Dalits from the Hindu faith to the Buddhist faith. Most Indian Buddhists today are actually conver- recently converted uh, Hindus who've, who were Ambedkarites, who follow B.R. Ambedkar. So the term Dalit does not refer to any particular caste in India, thus the actual laws to ban caste-based discrimination, if viewed literally, would not even in themselves ban discrimination against Dalits because self-identification as Dalit is a political act. Right? There are many members of scheduled castes in India who we loosely call Dalit as a synonym, but who are not Ambedkarites, right? who would not embrace the Ambedkarite movement, who, who very much identify as traditional Hindus. I don't have data on this, but I would dare say that most, the overwhelming majority of members of scheduled castes in India self-identify as conventional Hindus and not as right. explicit. Right. Okay? I don't have data on that, but I think that's a, a very comfortable assumption that that we we can take as granted. Um, so by writing into the preambles of all of these anti-caste bills, anti-caste resolutions, by writing into them, Dalits have faced historical discrimination in India. There are two errors being committed. One is implying that Dalits are a caste, and second, implying that those Dalits face discrimination in the United States. When in fact, what they're talking about is anti-Dalit discrimination that in India is a 100 years out of date. Now, there's still discrimination in India. There's discrimination in every country. It happens. But the legal handicaps against Dalits in India have been gone since the time of independence. They're a relic of colonialism in India, and they have very little to do with today's modern India. Yet this war, this effort in the United States, this Muslim Sikh Dalit coalition is attempting to create the impression in American minds India is a country that discriminates based on caste, and that discrimination has traveled with Indians to the United States. And they have successfully sold journalists on this misunderstanding or misinterpretation of caste in India and in the United States. Is
2: it a misinterpretation or is it deliberate that Itself is a yes, big it's a,
1: question. It's, it's a deception. It is, it is yes, a,
2: it is a deception. Yes, it, it is a and
1: deliberate misinterpretation. Exactly. It's a, what I call in the paper a bait and switch.
2: Bait and switch. Uh, now, this brings me to the very important point, you know, is uh, like you said, that to to malign the larger Hindu body in India as well as here under a smear campaign or a false narrative, of that we are the castes. This is also very important on the political part. I picked that word from just now. You mentioned the political part of it, and this is what is bothersome, is interesting and curious that all this is happening in democrat-led states or their legislature bodies in Seattle or California, and you know, despite this not being, as you noted in your article despite this caste issue not being a topmost priority on the legislative side of the party or on the labor union side of the policy. Yeah. So who is driving this narrative and why are Democratic Party succumbing to it?
1: Uh, in California, in SB 403, we're a situation where almost every Democrat in the legislature voted in favor of SB 403, Most Republicans, although not all, voted against SB 403. So there was a clear party line divide uh, on SB 403. Beyond that, I think we have to recognize that Muslim Americans have become an interest group within the broader Democratic Party coalition. Now, American Hindus tend to divide by party, and the best estimates I've seen are maybe 60-40 Democrat-Republican.
2: 80-20. 80-20
1: Democrat-Republican. But the American Muslim community is institutionally right. Democratic, right. 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 which means that major Muslim institutions in the United States organize a Democratic Party vote and organize contributions to the Democratic Party. Not only that, there's an international Islamist dimension to this, where contributions from Qatar, the Muslim Brotherhood, from uh, international Islamists in the Middle East get filtered through American organizations to the Democratic Party. So the result is that the Democratic Party has, the, has Muslim Americans and to a much lesser extent Sikh Americans as an interest group within the party. It's analogous to the way that Sikhs have become a major interest group within the Liberal Party in Canada. Of course, Muslim Americans are not as prominent in the Democratic Party as Sikhs are in the Canadian Liberal Party. It's the same pattern in Australia where uh, Muslim Australians are institutionally engaged with the Labour Party in Australia. So it's the same situation all across, and same in the UK. Muslims in the UK are institutionally (coughs) engaged with the Labour Party in the UK. So institutionally, the Democratic Party has this as a, what Indians would recognize as a vote bank. Muslim Americans are a Democratic Party vote bank in the United States. They're not a large one, um, but as long as they're contributing money, and Hindu-American organizations are not contributing substantially, or not demanding uh, that they get certain issues put on the agenda for themselves, uh, then there's going to be this tilt in American politics. It's telling that when Mr. Modi visited uh, the United States and recently gave an address to the joint session of Congress, I believe the number is 51. More than 50 American lawmakers signed a letter to President Biden saying that he should he should um, either not host Mr. Modi or that he should um, bring up human the human the, the rights of of Indian Muslims with Mr. Modi that essentially the us. should not be doing business with Mr. Modi. Every single one of them was a Democrat. Now, that's not because Democratic Party people in the United States feel so passionately about India or about Muslim rights in India or about any of this. It's because institutionally American Muslim organizations support the Democratic Party. Unless Hindu organizations similarly get involved in politics. I don't mean individual voters, I mean at an institutional level, at the level of donors. You know, if Vivek Ramaswamy is able to pull together a coalition of American Hindus into the Republican Party, unless Hindus have a similar relationship with a political party in the United States they're likely to remain victimized politically by groups that organize against them. Um, uh, And I want to be clear, it's not right or fair that communities should have to organize to protect themselves. Uh, There's no organized, as far as I can tell, there are no organized Hindu attacks on Muslims or Hindu attacks on Sikhs in the United States. This is all a a one-way street. This is organized Muslim attacks on Hindus in the United States. And it's the same in Australia. It's the same as far as I can tell in Canada and the UK, uh, that this is not something that's just, yeah, I think most Americans might see it as people in the diaspora squabbling. You know, if you bring in Serbs and you bring in Croats to America, they're going to fight when they get to the U S and we don't know who's <laughs> right or wrong. They're just going to fight with each other. That's not the situation that at least I'm able to see when I get go into the nitty gritty details of this weaponization of caste. It's entirely an attack by radical Muslim and Sikh groups combined with Ab- Ambedkarite Dalit groups attacking mainstream Hindu organizations and and ordinary Hindu Americans. It's a one way street.
2: It is a one way street. If I may add here, you know, like uh, you know, there were many Dalit individuals. Who are part of many indian organizations like kohana yes, or hindu american foundation who have spoken up but they are not covered by the media they have spoken up that you are taking a stand about us without talking to us and right. as a matter of fact in a tragic way in san francisco presentation one mr makwana who yes. was a who was a voice of dalits He died in in unfortunate circumstances because he was pushed and shoved and he was himself a Dalit, lives behind a family. This points out to your finding, which I noticed in your article, that Dalits are used as a tool, not because of any love love from Sikhs and Muslims, but they are the willing tool. How does one address that? Do the Dalits, the educated, the upper Do they, class don't they care? even be
0: a willing tool. In a number of cases, yes, they are willing to. They're yeah, not exactly. even co-opted. It's the outsiders <laughs> who are championing their cause, and they're not even yeah. aligned.
1: Look, all of us who've been involved with not-for-profit organizations are aware that fundraising is extraordinarily difficult, and we have to spend our money very carefully because there are, we're not swimming in resources. Now, the idea that the that the Indian American Muslim Council would find one of its chief priorities is the protection of Dalits against discrimination by other Hindus. Beggar's belief. Right? It's simply <laughs> inconceivable that of all the problems facing it, and, and look, Islamophobia is real in the United States. And, and, you know, for all the problems facing American Muslims, that one of their top funding priorities should be to fund efforts to protect Dalits from discrimination—it it simply beggars belief, right? Um, clearly, this is a strategic operationalization of ambedkarite claims. Now, if you start looking at the Dalit groups that are making claims, the chief one, and we've already Sanjay already mentioned it, is Equality Labs. Now, Equality Labs seems to be the project of a single person. Uh, now, I can't know for certain. There are people listed on the website, but everything that comes from Equality Labs seems to come from Tenmozi, and forgive my my bad pronunciation, uh, Sundararajan. Okay, so Ms. Sundararajan. Sundararajan. Yeah. Yeah, okay, she has made a career of this organization, it, it seems. And all this organization has done in the last 10 years is produce half a dozen papers not all of them about Dalits. I mean, one of the papers was about Islamophobia. Um, so she's produced half a dozen papers. Almost all of the claims to just for justice for American Dalits focus on a single paper published in 2018 that is publishing the results of a 2016 internal survey done by activist Dalit organizations, that is by Equality Labs, in collaboration with embed groups at elite universities in the United States. This survey, this 2016 survey, I have to stress is not in any way a scientific sample. It is not a representative sample of the Dalit population of the United States. (coughs) It uses what's called snowball sampling, which means activists were sent the survey and told, please find your activist friends and get them to answer the survey as well. It was distributed entirely through activist groups. No effort was made to reach out to mainstream Hindu-American organizations to distribute the survey more widely. No effort was made to send the survey out through temples who might distribute the survey more widely to their, uh, to their populations, to their worshippers. Instead, the survey went out entirely through mostly university-based on Bedkarite groups. Unsurprisingly, the survey found that Dalit activists, Dalit rights activists, tend to feel that Dalits face discrimination. Okay, there's no surprise there. The survey was very badly done. It's highly unprofessional. I'll give you just one example. At one point, the survey report claims that 26% of American Dalits have faced physical violence on account of their Dalit status. That 26%, that's incredible. But then another point in the report, it says that 25% of American Dalits have faced either physical or verbal violence. (laughs) Okay, well, those two figures are completely incompatible. If 26 have faced physical violence, certainly more than 26 must have faced physical or verbal violence, right? So the the report itself is highly unprofessional in its write-up. Okay, On top of that, the claim is, the claim made in the report is that two thirds of American Dalits face discrimination at work on account of their Dalit status. Now, as I said, they're probably only around twenty to twenty-five thousand Dalits in the United States. Yep. In order for two-thirds of them, sixty-seven percent in the survey, to face discrimination, that implies that at least two-thirds of them must work for other Indians. I mean, it's inconceivable that a non-Indian American is discriminating against someone on that person's Dalit status, when the, the, the non-Indian American would have no idea what caste background the person comes from. So that number, that two-thirds number itself, is it beggars belief because it implies that even if every single Dalit who works for an Indian faces discrimination on the basis of uh, Dalit status, even if every single one does, what are the chances in a country where there are fewer than twenty-five thousand dollars that two-thirds of them happen to work for other people who know their caste? It, 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 it's inconceivable. Okay. Other inconceivable things about the survey: eighty percent of the respondents either are studying for a postgraduate degree or hold a postgraduate degree. Well, you know that's an extremely rarefied, highly educated subpopulation. I mean, and that simply reflects the fact. I mean, and the numbers of people who are. Uh, claiming non-binary status are extraordinarily large. I mean, this survey was done in, if, in, in effect, to graduate students at elite universities. And I have to say, having been a graduate student at an elite university at a earlier period in my career, graduate students at elite universities are a highly aggrieved group of people. <laughs> they think they think all sorts of terrible things, uh, impositions are being made on them in their lives. Um, Look, there may be some degree of anti-Dalit discrimination in the United States. I can't quantify that. What I can say is the idea that two-thirds of Dalits face discrimination based on caste in the United States is inconceivable, and it comes from a survey that simply can't be taken seriously as a survey of the experiences of American Dalits.
0: Vibhuti you could uh, take this uh, forward because uh, you have seen the entire dimension of this in the United States. And uh, I think that uh, they try to force fit this entire anti delit narrative into the constitutional boundaries of the American constitutions by enlarging various groups and doing other artifices, which made it even more suspect. i think they try to make it um, uh, th- th- through all the countries as if all the countries have, well it's south asia i think and yeah. uh, uh, even broader than south asia
2: yeah professor you you i would i would invite you to comment upon the terming the south asian thing you know which is i i totally disagree with that because the south That's asian it. things makes yeah. targeted towards india like for example you know this hindus for human rights that organization is actually meant to deny Hindus human rights. But look at the (laughs) nomenclature of their name. Hindus for human rights. So as if all Hindus are for human rights, but they are denying Hindus human rights in their agenda. So what is going on with reference to the political element? And I said this earlier, target is India. Target is, and we are being used in this country to shoot at India on a broader spectrum to make the entire country look bad. And as you know, 80% of the Indians here are apathetic towards the whole battle going on. They are not even aware. So as a professor, if I were to ask you, what do we do to enrage, I would use the word, how do we enrage and arouse and (laughs) awaken our group of people here to take this matter forward?
1: Look, uh, American Hindus are being targeted in an effort to target India indirectly. And it's very clear in the statements surrounding the proposed policies and legislation. So as you note, they're always careful to say that caste discrimination is a phenomenon that exists throughout, quote unquote, South Asia. Right. Uh, and they also always throw in, because there's a UN report that uh, on caste that mentions, and there's caste in Korea and Japan. And so they say, present throughout South Asia, Korea, Japan, and parts of Africa. And they always say that in all of these preambles. And then they go on to quote statistics about outlet disadvantage in India, For, straight from one to the other. Now, not a single reporter, not a single speech in all of this debate about caste-based discrimination has ever focused in on the challenges of Korean-Americans <laughs> or the challenges faced um, by Africans who face discrimination on the basis of family group. It. it you know, it's always the legal language says long list of countries, and then the reporter goes straight to India. Not only the reporter, the justification for the bill goes straight to India. Right? So there's a pro forma statement. This is not about Hindus. This is not about India. And then all of the actual material is about Hindus and about India. Right. And that's done because Americans already associate caste, Hindus and India. That association is built up in textbooks. As you know, there's been a big controversy over textbooks in the United States that unthinkingly simply associate. They they even define India as a caste based society uh, where caste derives from Hindu scripture. Now, that's all questionable, if not false. Yet that's written right into the textbook level, you know, the the sixth grade American level of understanding of India. What does a sixth grader know about India? Oh, India has Hindus and they have caste, and that's all a typical American sixth grader can tell you about India. Uh, they might tell you that cows are holy, right? And, and that's the total knowledge. So these this anti-Hindu coalition, this. Muslim Sikh Dalit coalition is trading on Americans' ignorance. They're very aware that Americans have this near total ignorance about India. They know that if they simply say the word caste, nobody will think of Korea, Pakistan, or Nigeria. Everybody's going to think about India. And so they don't have to say India. All they have to say is caste. And the rest of the work is done for them by the textbooks, by the American ignorance, by the American media, and if I can be very frank, by Indian Americans who also promote this narrative. I mean, if you look at the bylines on many of these American press articles, I would say of the original reporting, not the secondary articles that pick up the original article and reprint it, of the original reporting on these issues, the Seattle cast ordinance, California SB 403, the uh, Cisco case, the BAPS Temple case, the original reporting is dominated by people who have Indian names, which means that they are using these issues to fight their own side in India's own culture wars. That is, they're taking sides, they're specifically highlighting these issues in their reporting, and other American journalists just let them go ahead and do it. And that's a real shortcoming. Uh, so I just want to contrast that with, say, reporting on the Chinese diaspora and on China. Uh, Chinese diaspora is broadly similar to the Indian diaspora in the United States. It's relatively well off. It's of similar scope and size. Uh, what's more, China is, of course, a, you know, in many ways similar to India in population and level of development. You know, in many ways, these are parallel examples. Yet almost all reporting on China and on the Chinese diaspora is done by non-Chinese Americans. Almost all the experts being quoted are non-Chinese American experts. They're experts on China. And their expertise doesn't derive from the fact that they grew up in China, therefore they're experts. Their expertise derives from years of study of the country. Contrast that with reporting on India and American academics who focus on India. They are overwhelmingly of Indian origin The journalists overwhelmingly are people with Indian names. Uh, And they may, I I suspect they have a problem or a challenge in being unbiased in reporting on (laughs) India. If I were an editor and I were to think, you know, who should I assign this story about California caste-based discrimination? Should I assign it to an Indian American or to a non-Indian American? The editor should be assigning it to the non-Indian American. Because with all due respect to the Indian American, there's always a chance of bias there. Um, What should be happening is that that Indian American should be reporting on things that they are not personally involved in. Um, Let the other person, let let the Armenian American, let the Italian American uh, report on the Indian community. Unfortunately, when it comes to the Indian community, and specifically the Indian community, the reporting is overwhelmingly done by Indian Americans and they bring their own biases to these debates.
2: That's a very important point. And I, my, my last question for you would be that I want to, the listeners to hear what you have talked about in the article, the three evidences used by Equality Labs and how they are absolutely junk. Please to share your thoughts on that.
1: The three So which three do you mean? There's there's a lot of junk
2: evidence produced by, <laughs> by <laughs> any is, I'm talking is, about the three. <laughs> the you know yeah. report of elaps, you know, that's what I'm talking about.
0: Um, I think well, look, one of them is the Cisco case, the other is their own report. Uh look, there 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 are a whole there's a whole series of
1: evidence that root is routinely adduced to establish the stylized fact of anti-Dalit caste-based discrimination in America. Yet all of this evidence represents what we call a bait and switch. That is all of this evidence is either evidence about historical discrimination against Dalits in India, historically, not even present day discrimination against Dalits, historical discrimination against Dalits, which of course does not appertain to Dalits in the United States, or this evidence is the self-reported claims of people who are themselves highly elite and highly motivated to report uh, discrimination. Uh, But none of it is actually based on, you know, a factual analysis of the situation of American Dalits. If there is serious, and, and, and let's even leave all that aside, if there is serious discrimination against Dalits in the United States, it's already illegal. Right? So all of these proposed laws and policies are still superfluous, as Governor Gavin Newsom himself said. Um, so why this effort? right? And And I think any good reporter should be looking beneath the story and should be asking, what are the motivations of the actors involved? Unfortunately, we don't have good reporting on this topic. We have sensationalist reporting. We have mission journalism, where journalists are trying to uh, create an impression in their readers' minds instead of actually just trying to get to the facts, trying to get to the true motivations. It's very clear if you spend or if if I spend, if any journalist were to spend one day simply reading every website and every report and just familiarizing themselves with the data, It's very clear this is a manufactured controversy, and the people manufacturing it are manufacturing it for the purpose of stigmatizing Hindus, of putting Hindus in the awkward position of having to argue against protections for Dalits, when in fact it's Hindu civil society organizations that for 100 years have been in the forefront of promoting protections for Dalits, of integrating Dalits into Indian religious and civil society, all of this has been led by Hindu religious and lay organizations which have consistently worked against that civil discrimination against Dalits in India um, to right those wrongs. And it's just so so ironic that the the very organizations that are attempting to do good are being vilified as if they were the ones causing the problem.
0: I, if i might add to that in fact all the reform movements regarding caste discrimination uh, they have all come from uh, a hindu saints and right up to swami Vivekananda in the uh, late 19th century and after that uh, you have savarkar and gandhi and of course after independence it was outlawed altogether but starting from ramanujacharya Acharya, all these people they have all emphasized that uh, the fundamental truth of Dharma, uh, also called hinduism is that uh, the ultimate being is one among everyone but that of course will not be taken cognizance of because the equality lab has an agenda so how how, how do you um, point out to that agenda and delegitimize equality labs.
1: Look, American Hindus have to realize that
0: ordinary non Indian
1: Americans are not going to pay much attention to this issue. And so instead of focusing on the narrow aspects of these cases, I, I would recommend that American Hindus think more broadly about sh- trying to shape a- Americans' impressions of Hindus. Up until now, American Hindus have been playing defense in that they've been attacked by others and they've been trying to fend off those attacks in the courts, in the legislatures, at the universities. And I almost think that that's a lost cause because once you're put in a position of saying, I oppose this caste-based legislation, you look like the bad party. Um, I would recommend instead that American Hindus go out with a positive message that they say, you know what, we've been fighting caste-based discrimination for a hundred years. We also want to prohibit caste-based discrimination. Um, please strip out these inaccurate and outdated preambles that you've put in front of your policy, and let's all agree that we want to move forward and, and oppose caste-based discrimination. Now, if American Hindus want to go on the offensive, they, of course, could go to the Muslim and Sikh organizations and point out the high levels of stratification in both Muslim and Sikh communities. They could point out the serious gender uh, iniquities in muslim communities. I don't recommend they do that because I, I don't think, I don't wish that anybody would go to war with other faiths and attempt to disparage other faiths. So, you know, there are enough problems the other faiths have. Um, what I really hope is that American Hindus will go to the American public with a positive message about their faith, with a positive message about uh, their national background. Most American Hindus are of Indian extraction. Um and try to win the larger, uh, try to win the 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 larger war of impressions, and accept maybe sometimes winning, you know, taking a tactical defeat on the law or the policy. I mean, right now, Hindu organizations have largely been winning the tactical battles. You know, they, they defeated California SB four hundred three. They've mostly defeated the Cisco Cast case. I think they're going to win in the BAPS Temple case. You know, American. Hindu organizations because they have the law ultimately on their side, I think will win on the technical details. What they're losing is the larger public relations war. And my recommendation is to go to the broader American public and tell them your positive message because it is a positive message uh, and try to convince them that American Hindus are actually are actually the good progressive, forces of light in these uh, culture wars not the people who are uh, causing the trouble in the first place
0: that uh, is just a one very... question because you mentioned this uh, hmm. uh, regarding the, the basis of caste discrimination and you said the law is ultimately on the Hindu side so when they talk about caste based discrimination so if kind of the a positive discrimination regime that is practiced in India is established in America, wouldn't it be against the American constitution?
1: That's a matter for Chief Justice Roberts and the US Supreme Court. <laughs> I look, I, I think it's highly unlikely because that's not that's not what's happening. That that's not the effort. The, I really can't stress enough. The goal of the Indian American Muslim Council. <clears throat> The goal of Equality Labs, the goal of the Khalistani organizations, their goal is not to solve the problems of American Dalits. Their goal is to stigmatize Hindus. So by fighting it on the grounds of Dalit rights, yeah, Hindu organizations may win that fight, but it's irrelevant. That's not where the real battle is going to be won or lost. The real battle to be won or lost is over the limited amount of attention that ordinary Americans will pay to issues of the Hindu faith or of India and international relations, and that's where I recommend that American Hindus recalibrate their strategies. You know, to to reach out to the public more broadly and not worry so much about the technical details of these particular cases.
0: That's a very important. Powerful powerful my question to you. Vibhiki yeah. Vibhiki. Uh, are you all the hindu diaspora paying for being very nice the nice uh, hindu guys so everybody takes on you and you don't uh, you only keep defending you yes. don't seem to be uh, giving them back
2: yes you are totally right we are the nice guys and as the american sl- no, slogan is if you don't say nice so nice guys yourself. always lose <laughs> nice guys always come last right <laughs> And the professor very rightly mentioned that we are definitely fighting a perception war and the image war. And that is something that is not the strength of the Hindu community in this part of the world because we do not believe selling and PR, those words we don't like. We look down upon those functions, but in reality is that even Edison had to sell the idea of the electric bulb to make it successful. The question is that we are not we are now arising i would put it this way people are becoming aware um, and i am very proud of hindu american foundation and kona and other organizations hindu action who are doing a substantial battle of perception and reality both and as professor very rightly pointed out that this is a vicious campaign dalits must realize and i appeal to those dalit people if you are watching this that you are being used as a tool Stop being used. Let's refuse that your shoulder is used to fire on somebody else's guns.
0: I think that was clarified right in the beginning yes. by Professor Babani right, that it's right. not the individuals who are doing it, it's Correct. only certain groups. Yes, that's right. So we have to we have to unravel them and we have
2: to fight it at that level as as may people in Indian people have to be, have to become more active engaged in the communities. And that's what we are trying to do with Jaipur Dialogue USA, is to change the narrative, what Professor was talking about. So you know how many conversations we have had on this particular issue and otherwise as well. So, yeah. Professor, look, I, thank I, you so much.
1: I, I Look, I'm, I'm sorry to put that, I know we're wrapping up. I'm sorry to put things in such just such bleak terms. But when I visited the United States in June and July and spoke to Hindu community organizations, one theme repeatedly came up, which is that parents were very upset that their school children were ashamed to be known to be Hindu. Right. right? Because the anti-Hindu forces have successfully stigmatized the Hindu faith such that school children are embarrassed to be known to be Hindu and try to hide that fact. Now, that's the most important thing that Hindu Americans can change is they have to create a positive impression, make Hindu temples into major tourist sites, get school groups. And now I know they do this. I know they try to, but this is really where the battle has to be fought. At, at the moment, your children are proud to be Hindu, as opposed to ashamed to be Hindu. That's how you'll know you've won this culture war. And that should be the ultimate indicator. Are your children proud for everyone to know that they're Hindu? In the same way that Christian children are proud to be Christian, that Jewish children wear a Star of David, that Muslim children are happy to be seen wearing a headscarf, you know, in the same way, if Hindu children are proud to be Hindu, you'll know you've won. That's your ultimate indicator.
2: That's
0: that's absolutely okay. correct. Uh, on that note, we can uh, wind up today's discussion. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Professor avenos and thank you very much, Ibhuti for... Yep having a discussion on this very important topic. And we were talking of, as you know, the weaponization, the weaponization of caste in America. And this is a paper that is coming out any time now. And that's going to come out in the century, uh, Indian Century Roundtable think tank, which is in Australia. And it is headed by Professor Babanis himself. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you thank you professor thank you everyone for watching yes thank you all once again thank you